Hello and welcome to the Pacific Center podcast. My name is Dr. Greg Lane and I will be your host as we explore many interesting topics with many amazing people from a variety of professional backgrounds over the months and years ahead. The focus of this podcast will be the intersection of the traditional healthcare practices of various cultures and the modern scientific research on peak physical and cognitive performance. The show will be delivered in an interview format. And a quick disclaimer, while we might be discussing some medical issues and treatments today, we will in no way be providing medical advice. And as always, for any health-related issues and conditions, you should seek appropriate medical care and advice from a healthcare professional. Our guest today is Dr. Drew Pearson. Drew is a doctor of acupuncture and oriental medicine, as well as a licensed acupuncturist and neurotherapist. His doctoral rounds consisted of a specialization in integrative medicine, mental health, orthopedics, neurology, women's health, and pediatrics. His work at 40 Years of Zen is about creating a complete lifestyle for excellence, peak mental health, sleep, stress, exercise, dietary intake and environment. Areas with a particular focus and passion are on peak performance and neurological leadership training. In his work at 40 Years of Zen, Dr. Pearson is building on his two decades of neurotherapy experience. He is drawn from his many areas of expertise, including combining biological neurology and performance aspects, plus functional medicine and meditative studies. He recognizes that humans are not just a dissection of the brain and the body. Rather, people are a manifestation of a whole. Dr. Pearson has spent decades exploring and studying to understand these systems and how they organize themselves as parts of a whole. With that knowledge, he has worked with leaders throughout multiple industries to develop unique technology and protocols designed around peak performance and leading through times of growth, learning, and change. Dr. Pearson understands that peak performance and neurological leadership training is about more than the individual. It's about creating authentic, conscious leaders. This type of leadership is paramount to affecting the people they lead, the communities they are in, societies they represent, and creating a better future for all. He grew up traveling the world with his family as his father served in the Air Force and the U.S. Embassy. He is a decorated veteran himself, having served six years in the U.S. Navy as an electronic engineer on a fast attack nuclear submarine, and most of his service was spent patrolling the waters under the Arctic Circle and taking part in Desert Storm. Well, Drew, I couldn't have made that up if I was writing fiction in that last part. So it's so great to have you here today. Um, you know, I've been reviewing your recent presentation from the recent Pacific Symposium we had over the last fall and reflecting on the various studies you referenced and the work you're doing. Um, and we're just so excited to have you here. So thank you so much. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Um, yeah, it's been a, a unique um, path to get here, and that was a, a bit of work that uh, I wish I had more time on and more experiential aspects to give to the people during the presentation because nothing beats you know, the presentation as much as someone able to experience what's going on. Yeah, and we're definitely going to get into talking about what you do at 40 Years of Zen and, and how, how actual uh, therapies happen and, and growth. But, you know, 
I think our audience might need a little primer on the subject of, of brain science. So kick us off. With what, so what are maybe the best way to do that is talk about the the uh, the different brain states, starting from maybe delta, and, and talk about what 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 are the aspects of our brain that are most fundamental to understanding brain science. So we have a, a number of different frequencies that happen in the brain, but before we dive into that, you, you know, we're looking more or actually less at just the frequencies and more at the networks. Okay. So there's certain areas that come online and other areas that will stay offline during uh, dependent on certain states and all the different frequencies. Um, we have them from like zero Hertz or even lower than that, what we call infralow. Um, all the way up to that we'll measure typically in about 50 or 60 hertz. And it can go higher. We're just not able to do anything with that yet. Um, so within these networks, you have layers of frequencies. One of the main frequencies that we work with is an alpha frequency. And um, well, let, let's go back and start at the lowest frequency, delta. Yeah. Okay. So this is a typical frequency from four, uh, zero to four hertz, four cycles per second. And it's the strongest and lowest frequency. It's one we typically see in sleep. Um, we'll, we'll see it in coma patients. We'll see it in really advanced meditators too. And um, the really advanced meditators are able to, to control it, uh, which is magnificent in what they can do with it. Um, but typically, if a normal waking person had Delta going on, they're pretty much unconscious. Mm. And then we get into Theta, which is a higher frequency. This is more of a dreamlike state. And this is something that's really uh, more of a hypnagogic, a hypnosis type state. This is where we see visions and things like that. We do a lot of dream work and a vision work during this. And when you get into deep hypnosis, deep trance states, um, and really advanced meditation states, you'll, you'll see theta come up, especially in particular meditations. Theta will come up on the midline of the brain right through the center here. And then we get up into the bridge, alpha. Alpha is when you close your eyes, typically alpha will double. In PTSD, though, alpha doesn't double. It stays suppressed. So think of alpha more as a bridge. And it, it's like the wave that the surfer surfs on. And without that, a lot of the other frequencies don't function well. And we don't pay attention well. And we can't suppress our inner reflections too well. And we have a lot of rumination going on and a lot of self-judgment. So that's that frequency. Then we get up into the beta frequency that we're normally in in waking consciousness. So this is the focus frequency. This is where we go when we have to think about something and we have to formulate decisions and prepare and plan and do things like that. Then you get into a frequency that's only pretty much come about in the last you know, decade or two, but we weren't able to train it until the last decade. And it's called gamma. And it's a frequency where we get the ahas, the eurekas. It binds all these disparate thoughts together. So you'll have these, this information from all these different areas. All of a sudden, Gamma can bind them together and, and show you new ideas that you didn't have before. Hmm. Those are the layers. 
are there are there areas in the brain where these um, where these waves are occurring? Are there specific areas that you're mapping to see these waves? Yeah. Okay. So let's start with alpha. Alpha typically in the back of the head, and it, as you gain advancement in meditation, it will move forward. So I, I did. Um, I when I presented, I showed a, a, a qigong master. Mm -hmm. um, over 50 years of meditation practice, his main alpha was forward now instead of it started off in the parietal or in the back of the head early yeah. on. And, and, and sorry to interrupt for one second. You're, so when you're measuring, you're looking, you're doing EEG and, and fMRI, is that correct? Um, the fMRI is actually calculated into it. Um, okay. So the full brain map, we'll, we'll look at all the, the areas, the nodes in the brain. Mm -hmm. And then it's a functional MRI that's mapped onto it that we can see 3D into the brain. Okay. So, so, so that's how you know what states and where it's happening in the brain. Yeah. Okay. So we can see the cortex off the EEG. And then once we do the interpolation with the other data, we'll see where it's generated from and where it's coming, whether it's on the cortex or deeper, like okay. the amygdala, the emotional center, or the thalamus, more of the memory centers and things like that. So sorry, I, I I lost your train. I think I I, I interrupted you there. So um, in any case, so maybe let me let me ask you: right brain, left brain, for many many years. Where are we now? Myth, legend, myth, complete myth, complete yeah, yeah. myth. Right brain, um, creative part. Left brain, analytical part. We know that not to be true, right? We have something right. called the um, uh, the uh, the deep default mode network, right? Which right. is maybe and it's all about networking now. It's all about networking. Yeah. So, so one area can go offline, and it doesn't matter if it's right or left. Um, it can cause other areas to e either function better or, or function worse, depending. And like with the default mode network, that's more of a network in the brain that we go into when not much is happening, when we're daydreaming or just kind of passively, just with ourselves. And this comes online without external input. A lot of people have a very dysfunctional default mode network. So they go into rumination and almost an OCD about how bad they are. Mm. And they're thinking, oh, you, you know, I did this wrong. I did that wrong. Oh, this person's going to attack me. It's very tribal. It's very fear-based. And the uh, part of the brain called the amygdala feeds into that. Mm -hmm. And if you are based in anger and fear and you're thinking about this all the time, that part of the brain grows, the left side of the amygdala. And it really feeds that forward. And when we go into ourselves, we're not quiet. 90% of what we do is thinking about ourselves. And what happens is that, that fear feeds into anxiety and depression. Once we, once we can quiet that default mode network, especially through meditation, and even acupuncture, and I'll tell you some points that uh, really help uh, deactivate that. What happens is you lose the sense of self in anxiousness. You lose the sense of self in depression. You lose the sense of self in harsh criticism. Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty good place to be. Yeah. Yeah. More like um, in the flow state, right? Yeah, absolutely. And part of the flow state is actually quietening down that activity in the default mode network 
prefrontally we'll have the, the, the medial prefrontal cortex. And uh, then we have the, what we call the parietal cuneus. And once those areas kind of get quiet, we can actually flow through things. Once we've mastered something, uh, we can really step into flow. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of practitioners out there, you'll watch them if, when they're really good with their needling or, or their interaction with patients, they, yeah. they get into flow and they just yeah. know how to interact. They just know what points and, and how deep and, and the people come out just floating basically. Right. Yeah. And then someone else that's not in that state can do the same exact treatment and the person will sit there and scream basically. Right. Ow, oh, you know, it's, yeah, it's not in flow. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think we have two hemispheres of the brain? Well, I, I think, you know, uh, I mean, why is there the right left half? I mean, what, what there's a clear distinction. What? Yeah. A very clear distinction. And I, I think as uh, evolution came up and we became more of a uh, two sided being, uh, those formed separately to control each side. Okay. And uh, it doesn't make sense. You're talking about, you know, obviously, um, you know, different, you, you, you alluded to this in your presentation at the symposium that, you know, uh, different meditation techniques uh, create different areas of activity, right? Yeah. Um, but I was just curious. I don't, I don't mean to be stuck on the, maybe my default mode network is overacting right now, but I'm stuck on what, why we have two, two halves of the brain. No, it's an interesting thought. And, um, you know, we can always speculate on, on why these structures came up and, like why men have a, a smaller corpus callosum that, you, you know, we have the spindle that connects both hemispheres while, while women typically have a much larger corpus callosum. Hmm. Connection mm-hmm. between. Does it have to do mu- more with the intuitive aspect? Uh, Cause you think and, women are does more intuitive. That. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so earlier, before we before we jumped on the uh, the podcast, we were we were talking a little bit about um, about psychedelics and the use of psychedelics. Um, you know, there's a lot of movement in the um, uh, uh, mental health arena right now, using microdosing in terms of therapeutics. What what are your thoughts on uh, the function, the uses of of psychedelics in general for jump starting our our um, you know, our, our uh, meditative processes or expanding our mind. What are your thoughts on, on that? Well, there's some distinct types and um, like, let's jump into LSD. It's one of the ones that creates that and mushrooms or a DMT aspect um, will actually kind of dissolve the self-referential aspect, dissolve the ego, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of these are not controlled and a lot of people don't do them in a setting that's very beneficial for them. So they don't set it up and they don't use it. And it's a free for for all right now. So in a therapeutic aspect, let's say they're doing MDMA or LSD or something like that. Mm -hmm. It can be very beneficial. It really breaks down the walls of the ego and that default mode network we were talking about that can lead to illumination of their mind, right? Mm -hmm. Illumination of self and breaking down the barriers that they had before and these illusions they had about themselves. But doing it too much actually gets into aspects. There's an area called the retrosplenal 
cortex and that feeds into the parahippocampus and memories and, and things like that. So too much usage can actually damage that. Mm. So we lose memories. We, we, we lose whole events. We lose our interaction with self. Mm -hmm. And that might be beneficial for severe trauma, but it's not necessarily beneficial for a, a healthy ego going forward. Mm -hmm. So there's a balance there. You know? mm -hmm. Are we using this in major transitions in our life so we can get perspective or are we using it recreationally? Mm -hmm. And um, it's usually done in, in all the older cultures. You have the shamans, you have the, right. the witch doctors, you, you know, you, you have the people that are guiding all this and it wasn't given out all the time. Mm -hmm. We're much more in a society right now saying, Hey, we can have it all. Yeah. We're not using it very intelligently. Yeah, it's mostly recreational and at parties and things like that. And, um, you know, my, my understanding of spiritual practices and meditation, um, and maybe, and this alludes to your, your organization, 40 years of Zen is that it takes time to cultivate and develop a sense of understanding and self-awareness and through gradual stages of self-development, the expansion happens sort of, you know, uh, organically through mentorship, through guidance, through, you know, uh, a master traditionally, right? Yeah, and those are essential, absolutely essential for for that. And, yep. and typically, we evolve in like three to five year blocks in our life. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing these mm -hmm. things every three to five years and actually evolving and not getting stuck in this kind of basically teenage thought process, yeah, I want, I want, yeah, uh, but actually maturing through this. You, you'll see a huge amount of growth mm -hmm. as long as it's guided to the yeah. And so on your website, um, you're pretty clear about uh, who you take at 40 years of Zen because of this work is so intense, right? So you yeah. maybe describe a little bit about what you're doing up there for, for our listeners. Well, what we're really doing is evolving consciousness. This is our, our true goal here. Mm -hmm. And, it's a difficult, hard process. And during this process, we're actually disseminating the ego. We're creating a healthy ego that can actually interact rather than a reactive ego. Uh, we're creating an aspect of the amygdala that we talked about instead of the, uh, the part of the amygdala that, that feeds into fear and anger and reacts. And it's very good at spotting this, right? Mm -hmm. So you'll see someone cut you off and you're immediately in that mode right. um, on the highway. And you see it all the time, the road rage and things like that. It's everywhere. So it's just something right. in class to you and it has nothing to do with you, but you're immediately on edge, right? Rather than develop that, we develop the right side, mm -hmm. which is much more love and compassion. All of a sudden we start recognizing love and compassion rather than the fear and the anger. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, we start emanating that. And people are like, oh, I like to be around this person because they're just generally happy. They feel good when I'm around them. And they make, they make me accelerate my growth, too. Yeah. And they're non-judgmental they're about where, where my uh, basic – well, the less judgment you have around someone else's growth, the, the better they can grow. 
So the jealousy, the fear, the anger, things like that, that want to hold other people back, mm-hmm. and their success, right? Yeah. So um, what are the tools you're using there? I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of different things. Yeah, there's a, a lot of things that we do here. So part of it is we're putting people in, in positions of neurologically talking to themselves. So they're reading, we're reading the brainwaves, we're feeding it back to them, telling them basically, hey, this is a good brainwave or this is a good state to get into and rewarding them for that. This is the neurofeedback component. And we're looking at the heart too. We're looking at HRV, which is so important. Any, any meditation should be basically monitored around the heart. So you're looking at heart rate variability. Uh, you, you have straps out there and earplugs and all these mechanisms now. Even I, I believe the Apple Watch is coming out with their HRV. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, and that's like heart math too. And yeah. Your, and we even have a, I have a ring on called get Laura, your Laura ring, right? Yeah. And these are components to show you how to breathe, uh-huh. to, show you to be in state because breathing is a basic component to everything. And mm-hmm. teaching someone how to breathe is essential. This is how we regulate everything. And Qigong does this, right? Tai Chi does. Yeah. In a recent podcast, we talked uh, to Roger Yonke. You know, okay. You know, we were we were talking about the whole breathing apparatus, so so critically important. And yeah. you know, as an acupuncturist too, if you can reflect back, do you do you still practice acupuncture or no? Yeah, yeah. When I come down to, to Southern California, I'm I'm a kind of a madman with needles. Yes. Okay. Okay. So I mean, yeah, I mean, we we see this all the time. Patients get on the table, they're laying flat, and they're they're suffocating. They can't even breathe. So the first thing we do is teach them to breathe. Yeah. And and it's funny how the diaphragm really holds back their health. And once they learn to breathe, if they're doing that like 12 minutes a day, every day, it will change how their autonomic nervous system works. It'll change how the parasympathetic talks to the sympathetic. It's 12 minutes. Yeah. That's it. Do it while you're driving. Yeah. People spend a lot of time on the roads down there in San Diego. Yeah, everywhere, right? Everywhere, even Seattle here. It's becoming San Diego, and actually worse up here. Um, they haven't uh, two lanes of highway is is not as as good as the four or six down there. I counted eighteen on my way to. Uh, I went skiing. I took my son skiing today. I counted eight or this weekend, eighteen lanes up by Irvine. Wow, amazing! Nine on each side. Anyway. I digress. So within that, this is time that you can spend practice breathing and practice, you know, getting into these states that help the nervous system. Yeah. So HRV, EEG, these are two main components of monitoring, feeding back information, telling them basically, here's your cookie mentally, right? Here's your reward. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's your good functioning. And we're putting in, in sensory isolation pods. So we're taking out all the other things that usually cause distractions. So they're in a dark place in these pods in a comfortable position that lend to better breathing and things like that. Yeah, and we're feeding back information. And 
we have them go through very specific techniques to really access these different areas of the brain time and time and time again. And they're going into memories and, they, and they're going in, into these deeper aspects of unconscious that have been holding them back. And as you get into these altered states, into alpha, in the deeper theta states, you're pulling up memories that were generally there when you were a child. So as a child, you're typically in alpha. And then when you're younger, you're in theta. Hmm. And you have certain memories. So as you get back in these states, memories will come back that were maybe traumatic. Yeah. And we help them unfold that and, and let those go. And it doesn't have to be a big deal about what happened, but the nervous system responded a very specific way during that time frame. So we help them get out of that. So the nervous system isn't unconsciously driving them through, through their lives. Mm. So they're not reactive. And so we go in and we train and, and we work with therapists to, to go through what happened. And then we go back in and, and work some more. And um, during all this, we're using stimulation techniques to get in the brain in very specific states too. Um, these higher states that the, t the brain is not typically going to get to on its own. So we really push it there and show it where it's at. And then it can drive itself toward that state much faster when it goes in and trains. It so, sounds, and it, maybe I'm just not, an, I'm not, and I've talked to Amy a bit uh, about this too, after she just got back um, and she was still processing. We had lunch with her, I think the day after Todd and I, uh, Todd Lumer, vice president of e-learning, had lunch with um, uh, Amy Herrera, who's uh, an acupuncturist, a client of yours, friend of yours. She worked with Dave Asprey and for our listeners, she was describing this as well. And she was still processing uh, days after uh, she actually was up there training with you. And uh, maybe you can talk about the cycle of, uh, uh, of development. So it's not just the, the time that they're there training, but there's a period of, of uh, reorganization, I would imagine. Maybe you yeah. can speak to that a little bit. So typically, uh, like if you go to the gym and lift weights, you're not going to grow in the gym. You grow in between, right? So the muscles react, respond rebuild themselves in, in their, in their structure. Mm -hmm. And the same with the brain here. So we go through an intense week, very intense. And a lot of times it takes at least six months to fully reform. Oh, wow. Okay. So we'll see growth through the brain for six months and, mm -hmm. and it's making very distinct connections and it's increasing these networks. And as the people propagate, and practice their meditations and the specific states that we got them into. It's more of a thought feeling mm -hmm. rather than just a thought. So they're getting into the feeling state of what they were in and their brain lights up in the same regions where we trained it. Interesting. And it propagates that, that formation even more. So you have this area in the prefrontal cortex that, that reacts very intensely overthinks a lot of times. Mm -hmm. especially if it's driven by the amygdala that we talked about before. Now, once we train the amygdala properly, uh, this area called the, um, the unsolicited fasciculus connects the prefrontal cortex to that, and it's going to recognize love. But it's going to really drive that compassion and love component. Mm 
in there. And that will continue to grow as you continue to practice it. Hmm. And it really affects everyone around you. So this, this development, this further growth um, that you alluded to can take six months. Could it take longer? It could take longer with, with people that are neurologically slower to develop. Um, so if they have less plasticity in, in their neurons, basically, mm-hmm. they're not going to able, be able to grow as quickly. So I'm thinking about, um, I, I'm just reflecting on, you know, the, the state of, uh, of Alzheimer's in, in America, in the world, really. Is there, are there implications for, um, for treatment in, in terms of the disease model or is that? Yeah, and, and that typically within dementia and Alzheimer's, it's a, it's a big umbrella that have different variations. Some are more protein based, some are more blood flow based. Yeah. And, and it's like in, in our medicine, you know, is it a, a blood stagnation issue or is it a yin deficiency? You know, where's this all coming from? Or is it, you know, comorbid, you, yeah. you know, layers within this. Um, typically gamma is the frequency that we'll use with Alzheimer's, right? So you're actually plug, you're actually setting something to gamma. To oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. We can stim there and we can train there too. Okay. So both. Okay. And for recovery, we're using a lot of acupuncture, a lot of herbs, okay. um, that, that are akin to helping recovery mm-hmm. and helping balance networks. Because Chinese medicine is all about networks, right? Totally. How how's the you know the liver system working with the kidney system? You know. Yeah. How's the spleen doing? You know, it's not in isolation ever. So are you are you? I mean, you're mostly focusing your work with with people that are really high functioning. I know that you have a lot of uh, top executives of, of big companies and uh, and high level creative artists and, and writers and producers and you know things like this. Are you working with with people that like post stroke or or in, in that? Well, I, I did I did before my private practice. Okay. Um, when I worked down in San Diego, you know, I had my private practice down there, and mm-hmm. I did a lot of that epilepsy, traumatic brain injury, PTSD with all the okay. vets down there, a lot of stroke. Yeah, and um, very rewarding work and watching yeah. them grow. But I wanted to do something bigger, and that's why I got together with Dave Asprey and mm. you know this is um, his brainchild of putting 40 years of Zen together and I kind of provide the, this is how we do it uh-huh, uh-huh. The how, how did you guys meet how did you guys um, get moved together I contacted him early on probably six years ago mm-hmm. um, and er, early on when he started Bulletproof mm-hmm. and we just met and our first conversation was like three hours long. So we really hit it off yeah. very much into biohacking and how things work. Oh, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Yeah. And, uh, and it just grew from there. And we started working with teams of executives together uh-huh. and it really evolved from that. Um, okay. And then we wanted to do something more concrete where people could come to us. And the reason we, wanted to do this um, and we want to propagate it out to a much broader audience, kids, especially. Yeah. I so saw that. They, so I saw that on your website. You really want to get it into the schools and, and yeah. you really have a, a broad social plan, which I was going to ask you about. Maybe go for it to tell okay. us. Okay. 
Well, mm-hmm. the reason why we're doing the big impact on the executives and leaders right now is because they make the policy changes. Right. They affect their companies, and their reach is so broad, right? They can affect whole communities. Mm-hmm. They're doing that, and, and we see changes happening. Mm-hmm. It's not very fast in, in some regions, but in others, it's a huge impact, huge. Yeah. And people are not necessarily aware of it. We're, we're not saying, Hey, look at us. Mm-hmm. This is our, our, our own default mode of, of doing good. You know, mm-hmm. how much passion can we have? Yeah. How much unity can we have? How much networking connectivity can we have an impact? We don't need war anymore. Yeah. We don't need this separation. We're on this mode of dust kind of floating through space, right? Yeah. We're not going anywhere fast. But we can learn to live together and, you know, really affect not only our own cultures, right, internally, but affect everyone around us in a very positive manner, affect the environment in a positive manner, really grow and and, and bring ourselves into a consciousness of awareness mm-hmm. rather than reactivity. Are you working, is your organization working with other countries? I mean, I'm thinking about what you just said. And if we're walking around in a veil of bliss surrounded by, you know, geo-sociopolitical areas that are not in alignment with what the kind of work we're thinking about here, that, you know, where are we with that? Well, I think about probably at least 50% of the people that come through are, are from different countries okay so it's good to know (laughs) and honestly a lot more countries are much more open than americans are to these bigger changes it seems that they're much more conscious Mm -hmm. of these we may have a lot more power here but not as conscious in some ways Mm -hmm. and that's not with everyone i don't want to just yeah we can't generalize yeah so um I'm reflecting back to uh, the previous administration uh, back in 2013, President Obama's administration introduced what was deemed a new initiative to map the individual cells and circuits that make up the human brain to give (coughs) scientists a better understanding of how a healthy brain works and how to devise better treatments for injuries and diseases. So are you in your organization, in your network, sort of running in parallel tracks to that scientific community or in concert with, or where are you with that? I, I think in concert with a lot of things that have occurred because of the, a lot of money went to DARPA uh-huh. um, in, in that initiative. And they're doing a lot of, um, and, and DARPA is the defense defense. And, okay. Gotcha. And it's not all scary. Maybe some of it is, but um, okay. part of it, really leads to advancing humanity in, in that. So we're looking at deeper mm-hmm. cellular function and we can look at water molecules bouncing off axons in the brain and determine where, where things are going and propagating the networks and go, oh, that's where that's doing in this state. So then I can target it much more precisely. It's mm-hmm. like able to map out a, a, a line in someone in, in let, let's say, large intestine, right? Yeah. And looking at, oh, large intestine four is exactly here in this person. Mm-hmm. Whereas it might be slightly altered in another person. Yeah. And uh, within that, 
we're doing that in the brain too. So we can get much more precise in training and also apply it. Mm. Not just looking at function where we want to lead function and train it mm -hmm. and get into these states that lead to a greater awareness leader lead to a, a better balance. You know, we want to prompt this co cooperation, the collaboration, the innovation, all the ahas in life. Mm -hmm. People in ecstasy, right? If they're happy and joyous, they're, they're interacting. I mean, think about walking into a classroom and everyone's happy to be there. Instead yeah. of just kind of behind their Facebook and grumbling like, Oh, I have to do this class. Yeah. A whole different atmosphere. Right. Yeah. So what are your recommendations for our listeners? Um, we talked about obviously breathing is the most accessible apparatus. We were born with it uh, for, you know, well-being and enhancing our, our mental states. But there's a lot out there on the market. Like the, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about like things like Holosync and the binaural trainings that are, that are out there. Or what, What's your recommendations for the general a general person that, that just wants to improve their, their brain functioning, their mental states, their ability to access compassion. Yeah. Uh, so there are a few things that they can do on their own. Okay. Uh, breathing obviously is getting into that. Right. Heart, heart math has a great HRV. Heart uh, math. Yeah. And uh, you can hook it up to your ear and actually train an HRV. Right. The aura ring is going to look at HRV and give you your results, but you can't train in it. Um, aura is O-U-R-A, and it's mm -hmm. a wonderful ring. Sleep is such a huge component, and people do not understand how bad they sleep. So let's talk about that a little bit. What, what are your recommendations for um, – I mean, we talk about – with our patients, sleep hygiene and turning yeah, off the hygiene. devices. So what are your What are your thoughts on sleep? So the major things that they can do um, is block out the blue light. And they have special glasses out there, like from True, True Dark, to block out blue light. Right. Um, yeah. Turn off the fluorescence. Mm. Turn off the TVs. Turn off your iPhones and your iPads and your Samsungs a couple hours before bed. Turn off your Wi-Fi. Turn off the Wi-Fi in the house. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it, it really affects the system. And, and I, I see it time and time again as we map out HRV and, and the brain that we can see variations and differences in, in sleep cycles just based on that. And it depends yeah. on how close you are and, and things like that. Yeah. Light in, in the – you want a, a total dark room. Um, you, you want to have it cool. For the brain, specifically. Yeah. Um, guess what? One of the things that affects it the most. Diet. Diet and acupuncture. Yeah. I know. I was talking to Jack Miller uh, yesterday. We were talking about, you know, because he wears the the president of the college for our listeners. He was he wears an aura ring, and we were talking about diet. We were just, he, he was saying, you know, he can, he can easily map, you know, how good his sleep is with the diet and he can, or with the, with the ring. And then he noticed that, you know, he's not a big drinker, but he said if he has a glass of wine, for example, his sleep is much worse 
and he doesn't, and that's it. Like he'll just drink one glass of wine and he'll notice just with that, that the sleep is interrupted. And I know that, you know, many of our patients, many of my friends, many of the people that we know in our society, they use whatever alcohol or, or cannabis as a way to relax and unwind, but it's really a detrimental cycle, I think, isn't it? Of, uh, yeah, so what we see, and it can affect you for up to three days after you've had just one glass. It, it depends on a few things. It depends on, you know, what kind of enzymes you have in your system. Mm -hmm. what the dehydrogenase, right? You know, mm -hmm. how good is your liver at breaking this stuff down? What are in yeah. the inflammatory markers? Are you doing glutens on top of this? How sensitive are you? What's your histamine load? Um, what type of alcohol? Where has it been? Does it have mm -hmm. mold factors in there? Yeah. And the same can go for cannabis too. You know, a certain amount is maybe okay for some and horrible for others. Right. And, you know, we're looking at the MTHR type of genes, right? The things that you can't absorb certain B12, the methylation process. Mm -hmm. So you're not getting certain nutrients in your system. Mm -hmm. So you're reacting to everything like an attack. Mm -hmm. you're, you're eating things um, like the nightshades, right? Tomatoes and, and, and peppers and cayenne and all this stuff, especially mm -hmm. in Southern California, we like our hot sauce. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And it could be very inflammatory for some people. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's when they talk about, you know, the cannabis can be very inflammatory too. Mm -hmm. Think of adding heat to a yin deficient patient, right? Yeah. What yeah. happens? Yeah. It's pretty bad. So we have to be conscious about all, all these and the gut microflora and how that interacts because a majority of our neurotransmitters are produced in the gut. Mm -hmm. So if that's unhealthy, it produces an unhealthy mind also. And that's why we really work with the, the depth of the intestines to produce a heavy, a healthy mind also. Are you seeing um, with the work you're doing um, relationship between the gut biome and, and, brain uh, uh, waves or brain health or yeah and we're just now getting into the point where we're looking at uh, certain components of populations of bacteria mm -hmm. and how that will look inside the brain and um, it's, it's incredibly interesting I think this just mapped out a huge a huge uh, amount of the new bacteria that they didn't even know existed like 161 different strains Wow. And you know they existed. And yeah. this is brand new. Interesting. Yeah. So um, I was on your website, you were, you were talking about, I was looking particularly interested in the, the leadership training that you were doing. And you, you highlight, um, you highlight uh, several different areas that are, are really interesting that the work that you're doing has a, a a profound impact on and I want you to comment on on these decision-making self-regulation attention regulation interpersonal communication and social awareness we talked a little bit about that but can you dive deeper in, in into that yeah well what we're finding is you know meditation is a key for that and um, maybe I can layer in some components of other technologies and stuff too, that people can use at home. Please. So let's say you want to get better decision-making. We have a certain like decision-making quota for the day and people have a bucket of 
decisions that they can make before they're fatigued. Mm-hmm. And it really happens in what we call the salient network in the brain, kind of like the front back in the salient network. And if you're developing those components in meditation and that theta comes up on the center line, mm-hmm. you're able to make better decisions for longer. And, but you also have to know your limitations. So when you reach that certain limitation, stop. This is when you want to stop all the little decisions. And that's why a lot of people in very high positions make very big decisions, but they leave all the little decisions to those people around them helping them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us don't have the wherewithal or the components to do that. I don't have an assistant, right? right. Uh, you know, taxes and, and food selection and which way to go to work and, and yeah. you know, child care and things like that. So it, it makes it difficult for us, but it's even more paramount to start meditating and doing these Qigong practices mm-hmm. so that your capacity goes up. Yeah. Right. Social awareness and social interaction really happen much more in, in the right parietal and occipital region, temporal region of the brain. Mm-hmm. And within those components, that ties into part of the amygdala and the left prefrontal cortex too. So if this is overreacting, it pulls all the energy from here and you can't interact. Mm -hmm. And for those people that are in worry mode or overthinking mode, it's hard for them to be in like a social situation. Oh yeah. That's pulling so much energy here and it's not giving any energy to really interact where some people like really interact here and they don't have a care in the world. Yeah. They're just kind of flowing with it. Yeah. Interesting. So where do you gain that control from the amygdala up to the prefrontal cortex in these meditations, right? And these components of that will help the biurnal beats, the holosync that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. So you're putting on headphones and using frequencies for that. Yeah. One of the strongest ones out there that you can use is a light and sound machine. Light and sound machine? Yeah, it's doing photic stem to the eyes and pushing the brain into a certain state. Mm -hmm. So it's helping you meditate. Are there good ones out there? Is there, I haven't shopped for them. Are there? Yeah, Photosonics is one. Mind Alive is another one. Um, Those are two major. Photosonics? Yeah. Photosonics and Mind Alive, okay. Okay. Photosonics is spelled with an X at the end. And uh, Mind Alive has done a huge amount of research, and uh, David um, Seaver is their person there, and he's done a, a, an amazing job for decades mm-hmm. in that realm and really produces some good stuff. One also, the, a new one out is called the Violite, V I E light. Okay. And this produces photostim for the brain. Okay. So we were talking about Alzheimer's earlier, right? Yeah. This produces a gamma frequency at photics, and they don't have to do anything. They, they just put on this little helmet thing, and it helps break up plaque. Oh, wow. Alzheimer's. And my wherewithal, too, I would put it over the gut, too, to really affect how that, because that effect directly affects the brain, too. Interesting. Yeah. So those are like three different components. You have sound with the holosync or, or biurnal beats, right? Uh, you have the light with the photostim. And yeah. then you have the infrared light that you can shine directly on your head. 
Uh huh. So even the, like those TDP lamps. It, it's not. It's not at the right frequency. They're a little light. Yeah. So so you want to check out the nanometers. Like if you're doing eight hundred and ten, that would be one of the frequencies that you want on the head. Eight hundred and ten nanometers of light. Yeah. So That's it's a, a wavelength. So if it's down towards 600, it operates differently versus 1,200 in wavelength, right? Mm -hmm. So 810 to 840 seems to be that sweet spot for the brain. Mm -hmm. It seems like we've come a long way from, uh, do you remember that movie, The Altered States with Will, William Hurt? Yeah, that's, a, that's an old one. <laughs> Where he goes into the uh, sensory deprivation tank and, um, well, th that's still a, a big component is separate uh, sensory deprivation. Yeah. And we find ourselves not in sensory deprivation too much. It's overload. Everything is a sensory, Everything. Yeah. you know, it, it just pummels us day after day. And if more people did that walks in nature yeah. and sensory deprivation daily, it makes a huge difference in, in their evolution. Yeah. Um, Speaking of which, look at classrooms. You know, we have these fluorescent lights that really affect us. Not enough natural sunlight, not enough natural air. For sure. It's all this preconditioned type of things that really impact. And we're spending hours and hours and hours a day in yeah. this stuff. So you have your offices, your schools. We're in our cars doing the same thing, right? Yeah. We go from we box go to box. Yeah and not in nature enough yeah yeah there's a there's a term now for for uh and i'm sure you're familiar with this for just being out in the forest they call it forest bathing yeah, yeah <laughs> it's absolutely. like you mean just yeah. being in the woods that's, yeah that's, and and it is i i think both in german and japanese they have terms for that right forest bathing yeah, yeah. and it's essential and um Getting in these states consistently really help. Yeah. Well, don't do it enough. That's true. I always feel better when I surf. Um, what's the future hold for us? What, what's the future hold for, for neuroscience? And where's, I mean, we, we, you just found gamma, and what is there beyond gamma? And Well, it's networks within gamma, right? It's networks within these states. Okay. Um, it'll be more of a micro sensory. We have stuff coming out like they can tattoo sensors on the skin where they can detect stuff and, and it can feed into your phone and give you feedback of how you are. Oh, wow. A and if you can do that in real time, it'll give you state awareness. Uh -huh. And then you learn these states and learn to control them. And that's the key. It's not necessarily having the tech to do that but learning the states and learning how to be there. And after enough input like that and, and the correct algorithms and the correct state for that person, the better they're going to do overall. So it's going to become more of the kind of nanotechnology that's integrated in our temperature regulation. Think of someone with Renaud's, right? If mm -hmm. they have little temperature sensors that they can feed back with in the fingertips. All of mm -hmm. a sudden, you know, it changes how the, the blood flow, the hemodynamics happen, mm -hmm. right? Uh, a child with an underdeveloped prefrontal cortex, we can look at temperature and EEG prefrontally and help that develop rather quickly. 
mm. giving it feedback all the time going, Oh, you're operating this way and, and do this more. Mm-hmm. And I think these biological monitors will be in the forefront mm-hmm. to help us accelerate this growth and awareness. Yeah. Is there any, any risk of, uh, you know, I think I'm thinking of, um, you know, with technology, there's always a risk or potentially a risk of, of hacking of, uh, you know, others getting control of the technology. Like I'm thinking of someone hijacking the car. That's much more of the uh, amygdala speaking right there. The, the Terminator type of thought process, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we know enough now to really kind of help cultivate a very healthy type of interaction. Yeah. Can bad stuff happen out there? Yeah. But it, you know, it'll be so widespread. Yeah. You know, it'll be difficult to put in the wrong information. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully we'll have the calibrations correcting mechanisms in there all the time. Mm-hmm. Always checking before it's, it's, uh, something like a GPS that you kind of know exactly where you're at and when it's offline, it'll, it'll pull the information away Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that that'll probably be built, built in things like that. Interesting. But even in basic mechanisms, you know, if your hand is warming, you know, and is that reflecting in the measurement that we're getting? Mm -hmm. Are you, are you compiling um, a lot of research with the work that you're doing there um, with your clients? Are you actually tracking things or are you going to We're tracking things for them. Um, We're also looking at masters out there, people that have meditated for 40 years, Uh uh, gurus out there that can do pretty amazing things um, and mapping their brains and finding out information like, Oh, this component comes up so we can train other people like that. Uh-huh. facilitate their acceleration into these ecstasy states, these mm-hmm. non-ordinary states of consciousness. Mm-hmm. So you can be much more blissful about day-to-day activity and really impact the people around you in a very positive way. Yeah. That's the goal. Uplift, yeah. uplift everybody, right? And part of that component is also backtracking it to younger brains. So, right. you know, this teenage angst, you yeah, know, it, it it may build character, but it's painful. Yeah, and uh, if we have a much more aware child, uh, they don't necessarily have to go through the traumatic interaction with their their growing minds. The amygdala doesn't have to attack the prefrontal cortex. They don't have to go through this angst of life as deeply. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it might uh, regulate hormone hormone. Uh release a little bit better or the reaction to um, wh- whether impacts, you know, like a infra low frequency is going to impact hormonal regulation and, and things like that is not necessarily the goal, but something of a reactivity to whatever comes in. So the whole goal of meditation, mm-hmm. the EEG training, or, or let's say binaural beats is to make you, much more interactive and less reactive. Yeah. So you can decide how you want to be in that situation. You have this thing coming in and you're, are you going to scream and pass out or you're going to go, Oh, that's interesting and let it pass by. Yeah. 
And we do that in a much more unconscious way. So if we train that unconscious to react a certain way, we can actually drive that boat rather mm-hmm. than it driving us. Yeah, I, I'm ta- when hearing you talk and reflecting on emotions and you know hormones and teenagers and you know eruptions and anger. I was listening to an interview with um, some indigenous. Uh, I think they were Inuit up in Alaska, and they don't they don't have anger in their culture. It doesn't serve. They've they've learned to. Uh, not have anger. It doesn't come up for them. It, they describe it as a useless uh, function. It was yeah. pre- pretty interesting. And you, you would look at someone like that. I would probably expect the, the, the right amygdala to be much more in gratitude and compassion rather than the left portion being more in anger and reactivity. Mm-hmm. How about the, the hippocampus? Um, there was an article, there was a research article I read from Harvard that, that recently that showed um, a development, actual gray matter increase in the, in the area of the hippocampus uh, with meditators. Yeah. And they weren't describing what kind of meditation now. Well, almost all meditations will actually increase that hippocampal. And what it does is it, that theta increase, the hippocampal increase, better memory, okay. better control over memories, which is key, uh-huh. right? You, you have your memories, you have your life, right. but are you going to ruminate on them? Are you going to apply those patterns to everything in your life? Mm-hmm. If you're looking at something and going, oh, it matches that pattern, and I'm going to go into this reactive state, and I'm going to react this way because it, it doesn't matter if it's real or not you're going into pre-programming. It's like you've installed, you know, an an aspect in yourself that runs your program and you Mm -hmm. have control over it. So a better control over the hippocampus and how that interacts um, is key. Mm -hmm. Have you done um, work with athletes? A lot of athletes. What are some of the the things you've observed? Mainly, mainly in San Diego when I was down there. Well, two things. One, most of them have traumatic brain injuries, especially football and a lot yeah. of baseball. Yeah. Um, I've worked with some of the pilots, you know, there, some SEALs. Mm-hmm. And all of these elite performers have a few key things uh, in, in conjunction with each other. They have a, a much greater capacity to react faster than Mm -hmm. normally happens they have a better control over those states so what happens is if they're in a clutch situation their their alpha will actually come up and just burst whereas another person that's not used to that the alpha will be suppressed their full reaction mode and they'll actually stumble and fall oh wow and you'll, let's say you're looking at a quarterback, right? You know when they're in the zone. Yeah. You know when that, that left prefrontal is quiet because all of a sudden they're just moving fluidly. You know when it happens, though, that they trip that trigger and they start thinking about what, what they're doing. Everything crumbles around them. Yeah. So that's all the flow state. Each one of them ha- has their own version of the flow state. Um, it's a self talking to itself, tripping up itself during key moments. Mm-hmm. 
So a lot of athletes, um, let's just imagine a, a, a downhill skier, right? They're going to visualize the course, the gates, you know, maybe like a, a giant slalom skier. They're going to obviously go down the course physically however many times, but they're going to go down mentally hundreds of times. Yeah. So how, maybe talk a little bit about how the central and peripheral nervous systems work and actually get, get you out of your head and into your body when you're performing these acts of you know, incredible feats of sport or, or athleticism. So typically, like within a flow state, what happens is quieting down of certain sections and illumination of other sections in the brain. Mm-hmm. So the sensory motor, motor cortex is going to light up. Mm-hmm. depending on their activity and it's going to fire in a very specific pattern it's not going to be interrupted or pulled from the prefrontal cortex or, or the parietal region um, it goes quiet um, you have areas the precunus um, that will fire in a certain rate that brings about the propagation of being in that zone of, of greater blood flow uh, in the Putnam and things like that, that show a greater success of actually coming out on top. As soon as the blood flow goes down in that area, people typically fail. Mm. So you're, you're kind of predicting in your own mind that you're going to be successful. Yeah. And it's that propagation toward winning, basically, that's happening, that it's already happened, and you're just moving through it. And, and it's just flowing in, in that sense. Time falls away. Mm-hmm. Um, it becomes effortless. Mm-hmm. So you're not pushing against it. The harder you push, the more difficult it becomes. And the sense of self releases. So you become one with emotion. Attention is key too. So these attention networks come online. Mm-hmm. And they're very focused on this. But they're not so focused that they can't dance. Yeah. So, so the act of, I'm thinking about just the tools we have without even, without even using, you know, the, the photo six or the mind alive or, or light and sound. Just, the, just using the faculties that we have. Okay. Right? So, so let's say you're using acupuncture and you want to kind of knock out that default mode network. Yeah. LI4, mm-hmm. stomach 36, liver 3. Three major ones that we use all the time. Yeah. Guess what they impact most? The default mode network. How do they do that? Do we know? Don't know. Don't know. It's well, just, we, we see the effect. You, you're looking at the, at the EEG and the yeah. fMRI, and you're seeing when those needles are inserted, what, what, what are you seeing? Well, we're, we're seeing a reduction in connect activity to other areas that, that drain power basically. Okay. So, um, and you have to needle pretty hard. It, so it can't be need- just a, hey, I'm going to do a, just a very light, you know, signature here. It has to be, you know, really getting that dachi, right? Okay. Okay. Really getting in there. And what it does is quiets down these areas that are self-reflective and it gets you out of the way of yourself. Mm. So you can actually flow through something. Let's say you're playing a music instrument 
and you're trying to think about the notes you're playing, mm-hmm. you're going to mess up. Yeah. As soon as you know the song and you're just going through it, you don't have to think about where your hands are positioned or what note is coming next. Right. It's just flowing all the way through. Mm-hmm. And you won't stumble. You won't stumble through that. Have you looked at other points or other point prescriptions? I mean, some of the classical point prescriptions are pretty profound that we do 20. Do 20, of course. Right. And, and even, you know, the point at Shishinkong right behind it, right? Uh-huh. Those are a couple points. And what and, about the kidney one or anything or heart eight or, you know? Yeah, I haven't looked at those yet. There's Those would be pretty interesting to check out. I would like to... I would like to hear some follow-up on those. Those are profound points. I know heart eight really affects the HRV. It must. Yeah. And all, all that and uh, pericardium six. And oh, sure. yeah. Right. yeah. And um, e- even within that, we'll, we'll use essential oils within that, like a, a, a lavender or bergamot. Shenmen is another one yeah. that's going to affect those. So if you're needling, Shen Men here, um, the Neurogate. Mm-hmm. It's going to affect the, the sympathetic and parasympathetic systems. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Wow. So, in 10 years, what's your prediction? Where will this technology be? Where will we be? Well, I, of- I hope it to be integrated in a way that is useful and non integrated in a way that we become dependent on it. Mm. we have ourselves the whole goal of technology is not to use more technology is to use less yeah you know look at our phones you know we're we're able to pull up just incredible information just with our phone right yeah we don't have to carry around a room of you know big tubes and 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 big decks Uh, remember back in the day with the big tape unbelievable yeah. When I first got into EEG, we had these giant, you know, you'd have to use a, a giant room just to get three signals. Yeah. Of computers. Now yeah. we can do it on a phone. It's crazy. Yeah. Which is incredible. Yeah. And we want it to be non-invasive, right? We we want to be able to detect these states within ourselves without something telling us to. And that's key is our own self-awareness and our own transcendence. Mm-hmm. You know, do you have to tell Guru he's in that state? No, he knows it. Yeah. He is. Yeah. And, and that's the ultimate goal is of being that is. Yeah. So the, uh, a lot of this technology is being developed by the military. Are the tech, com- are the big tech companies doing stuff like this too? I mean, is like. Yeah. And, and you have different thing? components. You, you have uh, neuromarketing and they're detecting you you know, what ads do you like or click on what, what, you know, what's your shopping habits and stuff. And and they're getting into your own neuropsychology, right. Of how, how to manipulate you. That's one, which is not necessarily one I like. Right. Um, and it really feeds off your behaviors and Mm -hmm. really hits on those dopamine cycles of likes and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then we have other components, you know, military is developing stuff to help uh, a lot of the guys coming back from war and things like that. But, but that's really unfolding into everyone that's been through any trauma. Mm-hmm. 
I think a lot of PTSD is uninformed and underdiagnosed in many ways. And we have certain traumas that come up that was never fed into properly Mm -hmm. and regulated properly. Yeah. And underlying in, in our unconscious, whether we've been to war or not, that doesn't matter. It depends on how our nervous system responds. Absolutely. Yeah. Whereas, you know, at five years old, I didn't get a cupcake was as meaningful at 20 years old, me being shot at. Right. You know, it depends on how the nervous system responds. Right, right, right. Yeah. And teaching the nervous system to be healthy within that is uh, a huge component. Mm. Right coming back to center, coming back to center, coming back to center. Yeah. And the default mode network really pulls us off when we start ruminating and thinking about all this stuff. But what about that and how does it apply to our future? And we're, we're caught in that instead of being in the moment. Mm-hmm. So what, what is your, what's your message for our, for our listeners here? What, what would the, the one takeaway for our listeners be if, if they could you know, have anything uh, at their disposal or, or what, 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 what's the start a breathing practice, start a gratitude practice. Okay. Start a meditation practice. Do your qigong. So gratitude practice, meaning I'm, I'm happy. I'm grateful for, or not, I'm happy. I'm grat I'm grateful for my conversation with you today and writing that down and, it, and writing it down, feeling it, feeling, feeling it. Don't think about it. Feel think it. it is easy. You yeah. want to feel it. And all these things. Yeah. Start a forgiveness practice. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. And, and it's not to forgive other people. That's for you. It's, yeah. it's these hooks, these sandbags that are kind of like hooked into you, right? Yeah. They're dragging you down. So, so describe how forgiveness, how would, you, how would you share a forgiveness practice with people? Like what would you do? Well, you go through a forgiveness, and there's a number of different practices out there that will lead you through the specific steps for forgiveness. Okay. And, and doing that more and more and more develops a very specific area in the brain to let things go. Mm-hmm. It, doesn't make, it doesn't make it so that the person or the thing or the event happened was correct. It just makes it so it, it doesn't imprison your mind and your yeah. body and your subconscious. Yeah. I heard this beautiful interview with a, a guy that this guy murdered his son and he went to prison for the murder and the father and the, the guy, the murderer kept in touch through the, the jail term. And the guy, obviously the father forgave him, embraced him. And then when he got out, he developed, he had this, this, uh, foundation, you know, and the guy came to work for him and it was just this amazing turnaround of a, of a heinous, horrific event, but through the forgiveness, they were able to do more for society. It was really, really beautiful. Yeah. And, and every person has that capacity. Yeah. Well, that's what I found. So those are major things that you can do that will do it for 21 days. You will change your life. Gratitude and forgiveness. Yeah, and breathing. And breathing. Yeah. Awesome. All right, my friend. Well, this has been an absolute joy and a pleasure and really enlightening for me, and I'm sure our listeners as well. Um, 
So your website is uh, 40yearsofzen.com. I really encourage our listeners to check out 40, the number 40, years of Zen, all basically one word, 40yearsofzen.com. We'll link to it on our podcast site. And Drew, it's just been amazing. I hope I get to meet you in person the next time you're down uh, here in San Diego. Yeah, I'll be down there in a couple of weeks. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll have to. Fantastic. Yeah, well, I'll see you. I'll see you down here then. Yeah, I make it down there a lot. You know, San Diego's still a big home to me. It's a big hub and network. Yeah, so. wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thank this you for having really me. Really appreciate this. Yeah, our pleasure. I hope our audiences check you check you out. All right. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.